Uh, we're going to start a little bit differently this morning, and I'm going to show you a video. Hopefully it'll work. It's, it's worked so far. Um, this past Sunday, I had the uh, privilege of uh, doing the pastoral prayer in all three services here. And um, in the second hour, the 11 o'clock hour, uh, they, the choir and orchestra did a song called Abide in Me. And it, it ties directly into what we talked about last week. And so I'm going to play that for you. And um, the words are going to come up on the screen. Concentrate on the words and what they say because uh, it, it really hit me in the service just how powerful the words were. The music's great. Uh, you may not like traditional music, and that's fine. Uh, you're going to hate heaven. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, but just listen to this, listen to this song now that I've set it up so well, and uh, then we'll get, we'll get going.
Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for that reassuring word that you abide with me. You abide with every man in this room. And as we saw last week, you abide in the form of your Holy Spirit. And um, when we cry, you weep. When uh, we walk, you lead. And I pray, Father, this morning as we look at the role of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, that we would understand just how dependent we are upon his presence, his power, his provision, that, Father, everything we need, we have, if we will only allow him to lead us the way you intend for him to. Lord, I thank you for these men. I thank you for their willingness to come and be part of this study every Thursday morning, and I pray that this morning would be um, particularly powerful in their lives as they listen to you, not me, and I pray, Father, that you would be with uh, Kirk, as he goes through surgery this morning, that you would uh, guide the hands of the physicians, that you would bring about uh, total healing for his back. I pray for Don McClard, who's just lost his brother, that you would um, encourage him during this time of grief and his family. And Lord, may these next days, as they prepare for memorials, uh, would they go smoothly and would you just come alongside them and allow him to abide in you. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, guys, we're, uh, we're going to do what's the first of a two-part series on the Holy Spirit. And one of the things in teaching on the Holy Spirit, which I've done before, and it, it becomes so rote. Uh, we all know about the Holy Spirit. We can probably, you, half of you guys could get up here and teach on the Holy Spirit. But the question for you and for me is, do we really rely on the Holy Spirit? Do we really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, we've talked about the Holy Spirit living within us. Last week, we talked about the fact that we actually have the Godhead living within us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we cognitively admit that, confess that, say we believe that, but then we go into our lives and we struggle with, where's the power? Where, where's the presence? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where's the contentment? See, we've been set, set apart. That's what we've been talking about for, what, seven, eight weeks now. We've been set apart by God. We're holy. We're righteous in his eyes. We have his spirit living within us. We have a place reserved for us in heaven, and we are called to live set-apart lives. It's to change the way we live. It's to change my behavior, my speech, my thoughts, my actions, my conduct. But, but what we've wrestled with over the last few weeks is that we spend so much of our lives doing it in the flesh when we've got this power available to us. And um, it's not to say that we always do it in the flesh, but if you're like me, and you probably are more like me than you would like to admit, you do far more in the flesh than you do in the spirit. Uh, more, more in your own strength than you do in the power of the Spirit. And so we're going to take two weeks to unpack the Holy Spirit and just try to, try to dig into what is it that we have and why is it that we don't rely on him more. So we're to live set apart, but the question is always how. And we, we've talked a lot about behavior. We've talked a lot about what it means to uh, conduct your life, to live your life in such a way that it brings glory to God and that it literally changes you from the inside out. Remember, we looked at that old English word, behoven, behooven, you know, that it, we're, its behavior is to come from the inside and it's to flow out of you. Whatever is in you is going to come out. It's going to come out. So what, what's in you that's going to come out? Is it your old nature or your new nature? Is it you or is it the spirit? 
So we're going to spend some time in Romans chapter 8 this morning, and it's, it's one of the greatest chapters and one of the greatest, if not the greatest book in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. We're going to start here in verses 9 through 11. Listen to what Paul says. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. Let's just stop there. Paul, are you an idiot? You know, who are you talking to? Because uh, I am, maybe not right now. But I will be sometime today, I will be controlled by my sinful nature. So who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people like you and I. But he's not done. He says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And his inference is, hey, guys, you do. You have the Spirit living in you if you're a believer. Because he goes on and says, and remember, those who don't have the Spirit of Christ, if you're out there doubting whether you have the Spirit of Christ... You don't even belong to him. You're not in Christ. You don't have a relationship with Christ if you don't have the spirit of Christ. And he says, Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, this body, this earthly body, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, this is not new to any of us. We're very familiar with this passage but look at that last line. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He's writing to believers, living in Rome, living in a very difficult situation. Um, they're living in a context of a worldly, decadent, immoral place. Well, so are we. So are we. So yet we have, he says, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, lives in you. So what's our problem? Why don't we live set-apart lives? Well, it goes to this issue of being controlled by the Spirit, which we're going to talk about more next week. But this is the key, guys. This, if, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to live a sanctified, set-apart life, living to bring glory to God, living so that you exhibit the power of God that resides within you to all those who live around you, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and this is all redundant. I'm repeating myself over and over again, and I'm doing it because so does Paul, so does Jesus, so does the Bible. Driving home to you and I, I have to have the Holy Spirit in order to live a sanctified, set-apart life. It's the reason he gave him to us. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we would do greater deeds than he did. But how do you expect to do greater deeds if you're not going to lean on the power that he's given you to perform them? So look at the way the ESV puts it. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. I love the way they've translated that because it's really what it means or how it should be translated from the Greek, that you're not in the flesh. Well, again, wait a minute, Paul. Yes, I am. I got up this morning and I was in the flesh. My flesh did not want to get up. My flesh hurt when it got out of bed. My flesh looked ugly when I looked in the mirror. My flesh goes with me everywhere I go, but he says, you're not in the flesh. That is not your identity anymore. That is not who you are. That is not what rep represents you anymore. You are in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you and he does. And we have to remind ourselves of that every day. I know the spirit lives in me. How do I know that? Well, he convicts me. He challenges me. He encourages me. When I read the word, he helps me understand the word of God. I sense his presence. You have sensed his presence. 
And we also know he's in us just simply because Jesus promised it would happen. He told the disciples, I'm leaving, but don't worry. I'm going to send somebody to take my place, the comforter, the advocate, the helper. And he told them, it's really going to be better if I go, because if I don't go, he won't come. And so Jesus promised it. But what does it mean to be in the Spirit? See, I know the Spirit's in me, but what does it mean to be in the Spirit? And we don't ever really think about this. But it goes back to what we talked about last week, this issue of abiding, the branch and the vine. They're, they're symbiotic. They have this relationship. And it's really interdependent. Well, guess what? We have an interdependent relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is in me and I am in him. In him. Now, why is that important? Again, it goes back to this idea of abiding. If a vine is going to produce fruit, it has to have the branch to pull that off. If the Spirit is going to produce power, He's going to do it through you and through me. Now, if I was God, I would have done it another way, knowing me and knowing you. Why would I choose you? Well, God did. And he put his spirit within you in order to do greater works than Jesus Christ himself did. That's amazing that he chose to do it that way, but that's the way he chose to do it. I have the spirit living in within me, and this relationship goes both ways. The spirit desires to use you, longs to use you. So he's in me, I'm in him, and it's this, again, symbiotic, interdependent relationship that God has chosen to do his work in this world. Remember, I, I've said this many times over the years, it's always kind of frustrated me that when I was saved by Christ, I didn't get taken by Christ. He didn't take me to be with him at that moment. He left me here. But why did he leave me here? For this very thing to happen, so that the Spirit would come and dwell in me, so that I would learn to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and see the power of the Holy Spirit manifested through me, in me, out of me, to all those around me. We're his hands, his feet. We are his ambassadors. We are his uh, workmanship. We, we have work to do. But the work is not produced by me. It's produced by the Holy Spirit in me. Remember what Jesus said, and we looked at this last week, to his disciples, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Squat. Nothing. You can't do anything apart from me, and the way he chooses to work in me is through the spirit he placed there so that I can do all the things I've been called to do. And that's really what it's all about. So what we're going to do is look at chapter 8, and we're just going to kind of run through it. We're not going to do the whole chapter, but I want to point some things out to you that really have become new in my eyes in studying this whole topic of sanctification. Chapter 8 of uh, Romans is really important for us to understand the kind of the preface and where it fits in the story of Romans. Chapters 1 through 7 is Paul writing to the believers in Rome, and he sets up the situation and for seven chapters, he basically says, nobody's with, without excuse. Everybody's guilty. Everybody's a sinner. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's under condemnation. He, he hammers it home over and over again. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. From the foundation of the world, all men have been under condemnation. And then we reach chapter 8, which is a watershed chapter in the book. And he says what? There is therefore now no condemnation. 
Remember, he's writing to believers and he says, guys, in spite of everything I've just said, all that I've said about the condemnation that comes on men and all are without, are without excuse and all are guilty and all deserve death, guess what? There's no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. This is Ted Kitchen's favorite verse in the Bible. I've heard him say it a thousand times. And you can see why. There's no condemnation. If you're living under condemnation, it isn't coming from God. It's coming from you, the enemy, this world. But see, I'm not under condemnation. Then he goes, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And he's going to start comparing and just juxtaposing two different kinds of laws. One's the law of the spirit of life. One's the law of sin and death. Then he goes on, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, like you and me, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? Us. Now, we know Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. He, he did everything God commanded. He did what Adam didn't do. He did what every man on earth never did. Keep the law perfectly. It's what made him the unblemished lamb, the perfect sacrifice. But notice what it says he took on human flesh and he condemned sin in the flesh by his perfect life, his holy life, righteous life, in order that, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled where? In you and me. That we might live as he lived, that we might live according to the law, that we might do the things that God has commanded us to do and do it not out of sheer gut, sheer willpower, but because of the power placed within us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and says, who walk not according to the flesh. Here we go again, flesh and spirit. He's going to drive this point home over and over again. We don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? This Greek word, peripateo, is used by Paul over and over again throughout his letters, and it's, it's, it's become one of my favorite words of his, peripateo. And it literally means to live. To, it, it can mean to walk, literally walk, from point A to point B. I can walk from here to the back of the room. But it really has to do with your entire life, to live your life, to conduct yourself. It's everything you do. Peripateo, walk not according to the flesh, and that flesh thing is going to be real important as we unpack this. See, when I hear the word flesh, well, let me ask you, when you hear the word flesh, what comes to mind? Just yell it out. Sin, right? Immorality. Uh, anything that is opposed to God. When you know, I think of flesh, I think, here's what I think, and this is the way my sick brain works, I think sex, Right? Now, it's interesting, in the Greek, the word is sarx, which sounds a lot like sex, so that didn't help me. But I think of sex. I think of immorality. I think of pornography. I think of looking at stuff I shouldn't look at. I think about lusting after somebody else's wife. I think of those kinds of things. And that is true, and it's right, but in this context, it's going to be talking about you living in the flesh trying to do godly things, not immoral things. Not ungodly things, but good things, godly things without the help of the Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about, which opens up a whole new avenue of thought. How much do you try to do 
apart from the Spirit of God in your own flesh, in your own strength. So it's how you live your life. It's all, again, about behavior and conduct, and we've talked about it for two weeks. Conduct yourself. Behave yourself. Live your life. Live as God lived. Be holy as I am holy, he's told us. It's all about how you live your life. When you walk out of here and you go to work or you go to the golf course or wherever you go, you go home, I don't know where you're going, but you're going to be living your life. You're going to be walking. You're going to be conducting yourself. How are you going to do that, in the flesh or in the spirit? And every one of us has a choice every day to do one or the other, to either live in the flesh or live in the spirit. But he says we are to live according to, in accordance with the spirit. And that involves some submission to, some willingness to do what he wants, not what I want, not what this flesh wants. So again, not according to the flesh and the law. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul links those two things together, flesh and law, because we know from Paul that the law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. Jesus came to fulfill it, not nullify it. But why does Paul link the flesh and the law together? Because the law and the flesh were never meant to play well together. No Jew ever kept the law. They couldn't. It was never going to happen. And God knew that. The law could only convict. It couldn't make them holy. It couldn't lead them to righteousness. It could only show them that they were unrighteous. So here's, here's an example that I can understand. If I'm driving down the road and I'm doing 75 and I see a sign that says speed limit 55, what do I automatically do? Keep going 75. <laughs> I'm not afraid of that sign. What's that sign going to do to me? It's just the posted speed limit and I don't really care because I need to get where I'm going. I justify, I rationalize, I'm in a hurry, I'm doing the work of God. Now let's just change the scenario, and there's the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit sign, and next to it, a police car. What do I automatically do? I slam on the brakes. First, I break out into a sweat. Then I hit the brakes, and then I begin to pray like I've never prayed before. Many of you have surrendered to the mission field multiple times in that situation and have never kept your word. But see, what, what I fear is he can do something about my behavior. He can enforce it. Now, he doesn't really change my heart. He just changes my behavior for the moment. I slow down. I was driving in this morning on the freeway, and there's more cars than I could imagine at 5 o'clock in the morning. And we're all doing about 75. And here comes a police car entering in. And it was so funny. It was like Christmas. All, all the lights went red. It was like we all hit the brakes. We all slowed, slowed down. And then he exited a few miles later, and we all sped right back up. Did anybody's behavior really change? No. See, the law can't change you from the inside. It can only regulate the externals. So he says there's no condemnation. The law of the spirit of life has set you free. Free from what? The law of sin and death. See, guys, we don't have to live according to the flesh trying to keep the law. Because when you do that, you're always going to be condemned because you can't do it in your flesh. You can't do the good things of God, the righteous things of God in the flesh. You'll always fail. You'll always be condemned. But we have a new power. It's the spirit of life. 
And I think it's interesting that he refers to it as the spirit of life because the life is, is physical life. He's played a part in that. The Holy Spirit was there at creation. He played a major role in the creation story. He's the one who um, helped Mary to conceive Jesus. He's the one who filled Jesus and lived in Jesus and empowered Jesus. You may not know this. You may, may not have thought about this. But Jesus in the flesh, even though he was the son of God, had the spirit of God come upon him at his, at his baptism and fill him and guide him and direct him all throughout his earthly ministry. And every miracle he did was in the power of the spirit, not his own. Why? Why would he do that? So that you and I would understand that's exactly how we're supposed to live. Every miracle, every message he gave, everything he did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit, just as you and I are to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the same power. So in verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind in the flesh is death. But what does it mean to set your mind on something? Here's what I think when I hear that term. I think preoccupation, obsession. So when I hear set your mind to the flesh, I'm thinking like addiction to pornography. I'm thinking about, you know, watching the wrong TV show every night and I just can't help myself. It's just the plot is so good. Yeah, there's a lot of sex, but it's really the plot. It's really good writing. And I become obsessed with it. Or I become obsessed with my thought life. I, it, it brings up this mind of preoccupation to set my mind on the flesh Again, I think negatively, I think in terms of immoral things, illegal things, unethical things, those things that God has denied me access to, but that's really not what he's talking about. He's talking about the way you view life, your worldview. How do you approach life? How do you read the newspaper and digest that information? How do you watch the news? How do you live your life? What's your worldview? What do you think about? What do you set your mind upon? The flesh? Or the spirit. See, it's how you view your life, how you approach life, how you digest life, the things that happen to you. So if negative things happen to you, if you're setting your mind according to the flesh, if like the example I gave a few weeks ago, my AC goes out of my car, my AC goes out of my house, I get a flat tire in my car and all these things are happening in my flesh. I see that all is negative. I get angry, I get frustrated, I get upset, I'm thinking about money, I'm thinking about I could use this money on a lot of other things rather than a new AC for my house. I think about all fleshly, earthly things instead of, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? How are you trying to mold me into the likeness of your son? How could you use this seemingly negative thing for good? So it's how you view life. I love the way the Net Bible translates these verses. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. See, a lot of you guys listen to talk radio or you listen to podcasts that are politically oriented and you wonder why you're always angry and anxious. I am serious as a heart attack. I do it. I can get in the car and I can put on a podcast and they're talking about what's going on in Congress or the Senate or the, the impeachment trials. And I, I find myself angry and anxious and I walk into my house and my wife's like, what is wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. 
It's this world we live in. It's all screwed up. It's going to hell in a handbasket. And she's like, will you listen to talk, talk radio again? You know what? <laughs> and I'm not telling you that that's wrong, but what shapes your outlook? The world or the spirit? You know, I've never spent time in God's word and come away angry or anxious or frustrated or worried. I may come, across, come away convicted, but I've never yelled at my wife after having read God's word. Honey, what's wrong with you? I've been in the word. What's wrong with you? We're going to hell in a handbasket. It's what do you set your mind on? What are you allowing to influence you? Those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. Now, here's, here's an aha. I hope it's not an aha moment, but the only way you can be shaped by the Spirit is to be in His Word. If you want to hear from the Spirit and you're never in God's Word, guess what? You will never hear from the Spirit. If you think you're hearing from the Spirit and you spend no time in the Word, it's gas. You are not hearing from the Spirit. I don't care how godly you think it is. I don't care how righteous you think you are. If you are not in God's word, you will not hear from God's spirit. And think how much time we spend apart from God's word, listening to the TV, to our radios, to, to our iPhones, to all kinds of messaging that is not coming from the spirit. And then we wonder why we're anxious. The Holy Spirit wants to change your way of thinking. Isn't it interesting that John the Baptist and Jesus Christ both came preaching the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent literally means to change your mind. Now, I grew up being told it meant to change your direction. You're walking this way and no, 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 turn and go the other way. You know, the only reason you change your direction is if you change your mind first. You've got to change your mind. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's telling these people, you got to change everything you think you know about God, sin, righteousness, heaven, redemption, Messiah, everything has to change. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. You have heard it said, but I tell you, here's what it really means. Change your mind. How do you change your mind? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and from the word of God. That's the only way it happens. He wants to change your mind. That's why he says, set your mind. If you set your mind in the flesh, it's death. Physical death, no, but spiritual death. Lack of joy, lack of contentment, lack of purpose, lack of hope. It leads to depression. It leads to anxiety. It leads to anger. It always leads to death. But the mind that's set on the spirit, that is shaped by the spirit, leads to what? Life and peace. Every guy in this room wants life and peace. But we're not allowing ourselves to be shaped by the spirit. We're allowing ourselves to be shaped by the flesh, and it always results in death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. What does that mean? When you try to do good, godly things in the flesh, it's like you're taking your fist and you're shaking it in God's face and saying, I do not need your help. I don't need the power of the Spirit you've placed within me. I can do this. That is hostility toward God. And we do it every day. And yet, the one who does that does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
You want to. I want to do good things. I'm trying to do good things. I don't need your help. I got this. I can handle it. And God's sitting there going, how's that working out for you? Here's an illustration that may help you. If you had a car and the engine burned up on it and you couldn't afford to get a new car and so you couldn't drive that car and a friend came to you and said, I'm going to put a brand new engine in your car, twice as powerful as the one you had. I'm going to pay for all the repairs. I'm going to pay for the engine. And he does it and he gives you back that car and it's in great shape. And then one day he comes by and he sees you going down the road, but you're on the outside of the car pushing it down the road. What would he think of you? Well, he'd probably say something like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Well, hey, I appreciate the new engine. I appreciate you fixing my car, but I don't want to tax the engine. So I'm, I'm, I'm pushing my car to work. And he would go, why? Why, when you can get in the car, turn the engine on, and ride to work in comfort, and go all over the place in the power I've provided to you. See, God looks down, and he looks at us and goes, Ken, what what are you doing? Why are you doing this in the flesh when I've given you the Holy Spirit? He's not angry. He may be befuddled going, why would you do that? How illogical for you to try to live the godly life apart from the Holy Spirit. So this idea of I can do it, You'll never please God, he says. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. Now, he's not talking about sinners. He's talking about saints who are living according to their flesh and not in the spirit. You'll never please God. You can go out today and try to do godly things in the flesh, and they may appear to be godly to all those around you, but God will see no pleasure in that. He'll see no righteousness in that. He'll get no glory from that because you're doing it, not his spirit. And that's why he says it's hostility. But listen to what he says. You're not in the flesh. I could debate with you on that, Paul. You're in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit dwells in you. This is how we opened up. This is the reality. This is the truth. I have the spirit of God living within me. I have the spirit of Christ living within me. I have the spirit living within me. I have the Godhead living within me. So if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Why? Because of righteousness. See, he keeps referring to the spirit as life. If you want life, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life how? More abundantly. What's the key to that? The Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of life. He's the one who makes righteousness available to you. He's the one who makes your ability to live the righteous life that Christ died for you to have, the abundant life, available, he makes it possible because he's the power. He's the source. He's the spirit of life. So look at these two comparisons, law of sin and death, law of the spirit of life. This is in your notes. One's powered by the flesh. It's you trying to do godly things in your own flesh, your own strength. The other's powered by the spirit. One ends in death, lack of, lack of hope, lack of contentment, lack of joy, lack of peace, I can't tell you how many people I meet with on a regular basis who are Christians, have the spirit living within them, and they have no joy, no peace, no contentment, no hope. Their marriages are falling apart, and they can't figure out why. Maybe it's because you're trying to do this thing in the flesh and not in the spirit. One's based on the unrighteousness of man. The other one's based on the righteousness of Christ. 
you, apart from the Holy Spirit, are still unrighteous in your flesh. This flesh is unrighteous. It will never produce righteous things. Only the Spirit can. So one is hostile toward God. The other one is pleasing to God. So Paul wraps it up. We're not going to do the whole chapter, but he basically says, you're not indebted to this flesh. This flesh never helps you do anything except sin. So you're not indebted to the flesh. You don't need to live according to, under the influence of the flesh, but live according to what? The spirit. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, don't think sin. Don't think evil stuff. Don't think bad stuff. Think about you trying to do good stuff without the spirit of God. That needs to be put to death. Stop doing it. It will never work because you are led by the Spirit of God and you are a son of God and therefore you're not going to die physically, spiritually, the same way you would outside of Christ. You will live. You will have abundant life. You will have joy if you live according to the Spirit. So real quickly, just this is going to be, I think, a, a, an eye-opener for most of us in the room. This idea of deeds of the flesh. Again, it's not referring to sin. We polarize this passage in, in Galatians chapter 5, which you did in your homework. We polarize these passages and we say deeds of the flesh are what sinful people do, Un, you know, godly people do, non-Christians do. But you and I do deeds of the flesh every day. But it's not necessarily sin. It's any attempt at righteousness apart from the Spirit of God. Any attempt at righteousness apart from the... Spirit of God, the power of God, is a deed of the flesh. That's why Jesus said, you can't do anything apart from me. That's why I'm putting my spirit within you. So let's look at this. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. You're very familiar with it. He says, I let the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, what it desires, what it lusts after. The sinful nature wants to do evil. See, this sinful nature never wants to do good. So it will take even your good attempts and turn it into evil. Here's how I know that. It's just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Don't miss that. Notice it says good intentions. You're not free. You can't carry out your good intentions. I want to be patient. I want to be loving. I want to be more kind, compassionate. I want to do good deeds for God. You can't apart from the Spirit of God. You are not free in the flesh to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. You've been set free from that. You have a new power. It's not your flesh. It's the Spirit. So this good intentions thing tells me that you and I, trying to do good things for God, apart from the Spirit of God, always produce bad results. Here's how I know that. If I do something, if I serve at this church in some capacity, if I sacrifice in some way on the part of God, and I don't get credit, what immediately happens in this brain? Hey, where's my, where's my credit? Where's my... Nobody's called me. Nobody said anything. Why am I? And I start getting angry, jealous, vengeful, petty. See how it always turns to evil? When you do godly things or attempt to do godly things in the flesh, it always produces more unrighteousness, never, never righteousness. 
And yet most of us live most of our lives trying to do righteous things in the flesh, and it just produces more unrighteousness. Living according to the flesh produces death, not life, every single time. And we just can't seem to get that through our head. Law-keeping only produces lawlessness. If you try to live or trying to keep God's law and try, trying to keep a whole bunch of commands, it will just produce more lawlessness. See, what does Paul say? I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. And as soon as I saw that law, I wanted to covet more. It's just the way it works. It's like when you tell your kids, don't touch that. They want to touch it. Don't go out there. They go out there. Don't eat that. They eat that. Don't get out of bed. They get out of bed. It's just something in us that the law drives us to more sin. This law of sin and death. Good intentions always produce bad results if you try to produce godliness in the flesh, that's what's going to happen. And even Paul wrestled with it as the apostle. So he says, the trouble's not with the law. The problem is with me. The trouble is in me, in the flesh. He goes on and says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature, in my flesh. I can't live the Christian life on my own. So he goes on in chapter 5. If you follow your sinful nature... This is what's going to happen. And this is the list we're most familiar with. And this is what we associate with deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Here's what I know. None of you wake up in the morning going, man, that's the list I'm going for today. I am going to be immoral, impure. I'm going to lust all day. I'm going to be an idolater, a sorcerer. I'm going to do all this stuff. No, you wake up with good intentions. And if you try to live out those good intentions in the flesh, this is where you're going to go. And at the end of the day, you lay your head on the pillow. Why did I do that? Why did I think that? Why did I say that? Why did I lust after her? Why did I... I had the best of intentions. Yes, apart from the Spirit of God. But then he goes on and says, but the Holy Spirit produces what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. So you got to let him do it. You can't. If you follow the desires of the flesh, it's death. If you live according to the Spirit's power, if you walk in step with him, if you walk according to his might, his power, his strength, you will produce incredible fruit. You'll see incredible things in every part of your life. But you got to let him lead. you got to let him direct you. So here's your three questions for this morning. Discuss the ways in which our good intentions end up producing less than good outcomes due to our reliance on the flesh. This should not be hard. Okay, it should not be hard. It's going to be hard just because you don't want to admit it, but we do it every day. Secondly, how do you think you can tell when you're walking according to the flesh and when you're walking according to the spirit? When you're doing it in your strength and not in his strength. And finally, just go back and look at those first three verses of Romans chapter 8. There is no longer any condemnation. What encouragement do you get from these verses and how will they help you today? No condemnation. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men. I thank you for your word. Thank you for the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and for the reminder, Father, that I cannot produce righteous deeds in the flesh. I have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you help me and help every one of us to recognize that the only way we can be led by the Spirit is if we are in your word and we're listening to him and we're obeying him and submitting to him and allowing him to produce in us the fruit he wants to produce, longs to produce. So, Father, guide the conversations around these tables. May they be open, honest, encouraging to the glory of your name. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.